In last week's text, Paul wrote to Timothy that the life of the Christian is to be lived as a stewardship of faith, not a performance-driven duty, not a life lived in hopes of being pleasing to God, but a life of trusting in the Son who earns salvation for all who believe on Him. This is the heart of Christianity, that Jesus is the hero, not us. That faith is the means, not works. And that the law is good. That it serves a purpose. That the law of God is, 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 is there not simply to show us the character and the desires of God. Or to give us order amidst the chaos or to tell us how to live. The law is there to show us our sin to show us our need of Christ. That's why when you read the law, if you found yourself bogging down in Leviticus or Numbers or in Deuteronomy, if you find yourself discouraged as you read it, it's doing the job it was meant to do. It's cutting out from under you the legs of self-righteousness and self-trust, and it's enabling you, it's taking you to the place where you will be able to see that Jesus is your only hope. Now, if you're at 1 Timothy chapter 1, let's look together at verses 9 uh, and, and following. This is what Paul says, that the law is good, but understand this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, that would be women who practice that as well, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Notice what he's saying. The law is for those kind of people. That the law is for the lawless, the law is for sinners, for, for those who pursue these kind of things, for those who pursue anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. But then he says, verse 11, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And so he says, the law is for people like that, sinners like that. But I've been entrusted with the gospel. That's those people. But I've been tasked with the good news. It almost sounds like at first hearing that what Paul is doing is saying something to the effect of, thank God I'm not like them. Is that what he's doing? And I think we have to ask that question because I know you've heard that sort of thing before. You've heard comments like that. You've heard prayers like that. You hear it fairly regularly in the church. And it's nothing new. Jesus told the story of two men who come into the temple for, for worship, for, uh, for sacrifice, for everything. Some of them come in and they're, they're just beating their chest in confession. They know that they are unworthy. They know their need of grace and mercy and peace and abundance. They're barely able to lift their eyes to the king because they are so convicted over who that they are. And then there's those who say, thank God I'm not like that person. 
Thank God I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. God, you're lucky to have me. You've met people like that. It's a good chance you've been people like that. Is that what Paul's doing? Let's read ahead and start at verse 12, and this is our text for today. He follows that up with, those people, but I've been entrusted with the gospel. And in verse 12, he writes this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What are you here? How does it sound? In verse 12, I I, I must admit that I raise an eyebrow when he says that. When he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. He judged you faithful? What do you mean, judged you faithful? And I want to answer that by actually looking at how Paul talks about himself throughout this section. You saw that. It starts out by him saying, I, receive, uh, I thank him who has given me strength. In verse 13, he says, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. In 14, he says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. In verse 16, he says it again, I received mercy. Even here, when Paul says, God judged me faithful, he judged me full of faith, notice how he talks about it. He judged me full of faith. How? Well, the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with faith. In other words, God judged me faithful, but that faith didn't start with me. I didn't generate it. I didn't manufacture it. The Lord did that work in me. His grace overflowed in me, and it showed itself in faith. He does this elsewhere, too. Ephesians 2, verse 8 says what? It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and even that's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. That your faith, brother and sister, is a gift from God, even the fact that you believe in God. You can't take credit for it. He does that. 
He says it elsewhere in Philippians chapter 2. He's talking about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then in verse 13, he says, Because it is God who works in you both to will, to desire, and to work for his good pleasure. So do you want to please God? God's done that in you. You want to love him? That's God at work in you. You have faith. That means that the sovereign creator of the universe has come down to you and he's working in you. So look, if you ever look at your life and you say, I, you know, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Look at that belief and say, God, I know you're doing something. It may be small. It may be just a spark. It may be just the size of a mustard seed, but I take hope in that. Why? Because you did it. It's of you. Paul says, God saw me, and he saw me faithful, and then he appointed me to his service. Look, the focus really isn't on Paul here at all. This isn't about him, his work, his faith, his resume. It's about God and his mercy. But he's about to take that and he's going to point you to himself in order to give you a better picture of who God actually is. He says in verse 13, God's done all this, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. You remember the list? The law is for sinners. It's for these kind of people. But I've been entrusted with the gospel. But that list, I've got my own list. You know what I was? I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor. You ever paid attention to the Ten Commandments? And you may have heard it described like this, that there are vertical commands and there are horizontal commands. You, you know what that means? That the vertical commands refer to your relationship with God and how you treat Him, how you see Him, how you speak of Him. So what's the first one? You shall have no other gods before me. Vertical relationship. You break that, you are in sin before God. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any image of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. What is that? Vertical relationship. That as you are sinning against that first bit of the law, you're showing you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're sinning against Him. And to do that is to blaspheme. To dishonor the name and the character and the person of God. Well, the second tablet of the commandments are horizontal. How we treat one another. So the Bible says you shouldn't kill one another. It's a good law. We should do that. Do not steal. Honor your father and your mother. Don't commit adultery. Paul is saying, look, I broke the first tablet. I didn't love God. I blasphemed him. I broke the second tablet, those horizontal relationships. I didn't love people. Instead, I, I persecuted them. I'm an insolent opponent. But God. But God. God took me and he showed me mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. 
You remember one of the sayings of Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them, because why? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They're wrong. They're sinning, but they're ignorant of what is true. They just don't know. And Paul says, I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was honoring God. I thought I was sticking up for Him. I thought I was doing what He wanted me to do. I thought I was honoring Him, but I was blaspheming. I thought I was doing right, but I didn't know. I didn't see rightly at all until God came and blinded me. And then when those scales fell off, finally I saw. Finally I saw who Jesus actually was. That the God who alone can save me was the God that I was seeking to wipe his name off the face of the earth. And God took my blasphemous tongue. He took my persecuting hands and he overflowed in grace for me by giving me faith instead. By giving me a love for God instead of blasphemy. A love for neighbor instead of persecution. He's made me new. Now you read the story of Paul like we did just a few weeks ago. In Acts 26, Paul is standing before Agrippa, and we didn't read this part, and he's giving a defense for how he should, should uh, what, what he's done. You saw myself distracted by my own kid getting up and walking out. <laughs> to parent or to pastor? That is the question. Where was I? And he says, so he's standing before Agrippa. He's seeking to defend, like set a defense before this judge who, who, who can bring about his death. And he says this. Look, if you're ever standing before a judge and he says, tell me about yourself, don't start with this. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I did it in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to force them, I tried to make them blaspheme, and in a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. When they would run, guess what? I would chase them. What's he saying? I locked up many of the saints Men and women. You ever done something that you will never forget? You heard a noise that will just be in your dreams forever? You said something to someone and the look on their face just crushed you? Think about this. I guarantee you he can still hear their screams. The wailing of children as he took their parents away. I voted to put them to death. I even tried to force them to blaspheme. Now, this is a former Pharisee, right? This is not a guy who's talking about blaspheming the first person of the Trinity, God, Yahweh. But he's saying that name of Jesus, that person of Jesus, I did everything I could to make them to force them to turn on him. And when they wouldn't do it, I killed them. I voted for that. I was in a raging fury, persecuting them. That's who I was. I was a blasphemer. 
I was the persecutor. And I imagine that that's not the kind of thing you forget. Faces of tear-streaked children as their moms are ripped from their arms. Of wailing wives and sons and daughters as their father is just pulled away and beaten right in front of them. And Paul says, that's what I did. That's who I was. But God... But God showed me mercy, and God gave me strength, and God made me faithful, and God gave me love for him and for others. God made me a new creature. Uh, creature. I just made up a word. He made me a new creature. That's what he does. That's what God does. He takes people who are, who, are, who are guilty of some of the most wicked and vile things, people just like you and people just like me, and he says, I'm going to save you. I will save you. I will change you. I will forgive you. I will make you new, and I will make you mine. Paul says in verse 15, this saying is trustworthy, and it is deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let me ask you something. Do you believe that saying is deserving of your full acceptance? That Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And here's what I mean. Do you fully accept it? Or do you think Jesus has a type? A type he saves, a type he prefers, that some type of people he will, he will save and some type of people they will never be saved. That there's no chance for them to save. But yes, he saves sinners, but you can't be that bad. There's a line, there's a cutoff. You have to be the right kind of sinner. You can't go too far. Can't be too poor. Can't be too rich. Not too young, not too old. Not too white collar or blue collar or no collar. Not too white, not too black, not too anything in the middle. Who can't Jesus save? Do you have an answer for that? I want to introduce you to a friend of ours. His name is Bobby. And we were able to talk with Bobby the other day, and we recorded that conversation for you. So if you would, Kate, just hit play on that video. Me sitting before you as a guy uh, with three life sentences. And everything that man tell me I couldn't do, God said I could. Everything that I'm doing right now is mind blowing. And there's no way you can convince me and it's not Christ that's doing it through me. I'm not deserving of nothing that's taking place in my life. I don't accept any of the credit. I just live the life that Christ wants me to live and to the fullest. Do I make mistakes? Yes, I do. But that's part of the process. Believe it or not, I was a deacon in the free world. But that's all I was. Because nobody never sent me down to explain to me the qualification of what it's going to take to be a deacon. So I was just uh, a person on the road. But when I came to prison, the first question I asked God, because I was around a lot of young men, said, Lord, what am I? What am I? What am I do to here? So every night after they served the last meal, we all meet in front of the bars and we have Bible study. So one night we was having Bible study and uh, 
In the middle of the Bible study, I began to start crying. My crying came from because I, I began to dislike who I had became. And I told God, I don't want to be that no more. I don't want to be, my, I don't want to be named Bobby no more. I want a name that was pleasing to you. I want a name that I can honor you. And so being in a one-man cell, 32, there's no, there's no win, no draft or nothing. You got a window. And you hope and pray that you get a breeze every now and then. But when I turn around and my Bible was laying on my bed and the leaves started turning and it stopped at Matthew chapter five, the, the Beatitudes, and my eyes landed on verse nine. It said, blessed are the, pe blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called children of God. So I said, Lord, I want that name. I want to be called a peacemaker. I said, well, with your help, then I'll do it. And so everything started from there. Right now, I'm able to walk all over the prison. And I tell them it's only because of Christ. Because man says I supposed to be locked down. But yet, because of Christ Jesus, I, I'm able to go everywhere outside that where I needed to be. So now my church has went from 10, 15 peoples to 30. And so here I am today where I'm wearing green and white, where man said, I'll never get them. You know, you'll be, you, you may get out in population, but you'll never be able to do anything with it. But we're going to give you the green and white anyway. And look at me now. I got a chance to join a Bible college. I graduated with my associate and my bachelor degree, which man said ain't going to never benefit me nothing. But look what I'm doing now. I'm going all over the prisons. Uh, we go to Marshall County. We go to... Uh, Walnut Grove, we go to Wilkinson County, we go to Greene County, we go to Rankin County, everywhere sharing the gospel. This is the life I chose to live. And I think the, one of the main things that, that's keeping me together because the word of God have proven and it showed himself to me that I can go to heaven from right here in this chair that I'm sitting in. I don't have to be in the free world with a, a fancy suit on, uh, a pair of blue jeans on or stuff. I can go from right here. I'm Bobby Smith. And my MDOC number is K0100. And Jesus saved a worse sinner like me. Bobby is our church planting friend. Where's his church? Parchment State Prison. You heard him say it. He's serving three consecutive life sentences, but he's come to know the Lord, and the Lord has shown him mercy, shown him Jesus, and given him faith to believe. And he says, Look, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here, and as long as I'm here, I'm going to seek to be faithful. I'm going to minister. So I ask you, do you fully accept the truth that Christ Jesus came to save sinners? Or could God never save that person? Or that friend that you've given up on, there's thinking God will ever save them. That son or daughter, that mom or dad, that sibling will never be saved. Listen, don't underestimate the grace of God. Paul said, he did it to me. I needed him. I needed grace, and Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I am the foremost. I am the chief of sinners. Like, I've always had a soft spot for my home state of Mississippi, and yet when you hear people on the outside talk of Mississippi, they say things like, look, we rank dead last in every category, and I'm like, oh, that's not true at all. Only in the good things. 
We rank in a lot of things. We're number one in a lot of things. You don't usually brag about being the worst. But that's what Paul is doing. He says, look, I was the worst of sinners. I'll put my evil resume against anyone. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me is the very worst of sinners. Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul saying, God saved me for you. He showed me mercy so that he might show you something. That's what Paul's saying, that his salvation was actually accomplished not simply for his own salvation, but for the glory of God for your salvation in order to benefit you and me. That you and I can look to Paul and say, well, if God can save that sinner, he can save this one. That if God is patient with him, he will be patient with me. If God gives him faith and love, he will give it to me. If God shows him grace, then I will receive grace. How do I know? Because Christ Jesus came to save sinners, and he's clearly very good at what he does. If he can save Paul, he can save anyone. And so what is the prerequisite for that? What, what qualifications must you meet for that? There's an old hymn from 1759 called, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy. Wonderful hymn. And the lyrics say this, Let not conscience make you linger nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to fill your need of him. What does God do? He saves sinners. Not sinners who get it together, who grab themselves by the bootstraps, who seek to make it right. He saves sinners who know that there is no one else they can go to. There's nothing else they can do that they must have a savior. And you can't say... Well, you don't know what I've done. I don't. I don't have a clue what you've done, but God does. And still, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Paul stands before you and says, look, he saved me. And if he saved me, he will save you. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you've never trusted in him, call on the name of the Lord right now and you will be saved. Ask him to save you and don't say, well, I must get fit first. No, come to Jesus. I must get clean first. No, come to him. He will clean you. He will do it. If you want to come find me after the service and let's talk more about that, please do. What do we say? We got a phone call. Someone died. Just found out. You're not guaranteed tomorrow or the next day or this next week. You don't know. If the Lord is dealing with you now, deal with him right now. Paul remembers where he came from. He remembers who he was. He remembers what he did. And because of that, when he talks about grace, it drives him to worship, to praise. Notice what he does. He just bursts out in this singing almost, this song, Oh, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice Paul says, he saved me for you. 
so that you would see, so that you would understand, so that you would have hope. But guys, understand something. This is true for all of us. That right there is true for all of us. He saved me for your good. And he saved you for my good. So that together we might be encouraged at the greatness of our God. At his mercy at work among one another. And his grace at work in one another. His love at work. That he gives faith to you. That he saves sinners. It really is amazing. And you won't be encouraged by my seeking to deceive you. Does that make sense? You won't be encouraged by me seeking to deceive you. By trying to present to you how good I am, how godly I am, how much Bible I know, how I never struggle, how I don't need grace or mercy, I've grown through that. You will be encouraged when, like Paul, I'm able to say to you, I know who I was. I know how I acted and God showed me mercy. I still know how I struggle and I don't like it. But God's grace is sufficient for me this very day. And if it's sufficient for me, guess what? It's sufficient for you as well. That I know that grace and mercy and peace are mine in abundance. Why? Because he told me so. And if they abound for me, brother or sister, they will abound for you also. I know Ephesians tell me I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And if it's true of this son of God, it's true of you, son or daughter of God. I know I've been saved in part because God planned before the foundation of the world for you and me to be brothers and sister in Christ. That's what he's done. So we lock arms together and we move forward in faith. And may that truth, that remembrance, that celebration drive me to sing today in a way that when you hear it, you know it's true. That when you see me, you know it's true and you're encouraged to believe. I want to spur you on in the faith and be spurred along by your faith, by your growth, by your need and God's provision. Just like Bobby looking around the prison and saying, God, I'm here. What now? How do you want to use me? I've got nowhere to go. Put me to work. How will he use me? How will he use you? Look, here's the deal. God brought us to First Baptist Columbus. All of us. This very day. He brought us to this city. He brought us to our neighborhoods, to our schools, to our jobs. You and I have been placed here by a sovereign God. Now may it be that he uses our words, how we speak of him, how we speak of ourselves honestly to point others to the grace and the provision of Jesus Christ. In our lives, may Jesus be seen as the hero and us just get rid of all this trying to make people think we got it all together nonsense. It's not even true. May he be seen as the hero. Why? Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Think about one last thing. We're told that when a sinner repents, heaven breaks out in joy. That the gospel, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, the angels long to look into it. That, that God can take a wretched and vile sinner and make him a beloved saint. That the gospel is so incredible that the very saints Paul arrested, beat, forced to blaspheme, and then murdered would have 
joyfully gathered at the gates of heaven to wrap their arms around their brother when he died and arrived. That is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to save sinners forever and ever. May it lead us to worship. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. The more I see myself, the better I see you are. The more I see my need, the more gracious I see that you are. God, the more that you provide, the more that you are faithful even when we are faithless. God, you are truly a sovereign, amazing God, and you have shown us amazing grace. Lord, may we not forget. May we not forget who we were, where we've come from, where we've been, what we've done. But may it not lead us to despair and discouragement. May it lead us to rejoice in Jesus who came to save sinners like us. Father, you're so good. And now may it be that we hear this word and we respond accordingly. If anyone in here needs to trust in Christ, may now be the moment of their salvation. Save them. Give them faith to believe. Anyone in here tinkering with sin, with the, 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 the things of this world, Lord, convict us. Lead us to repentance and, and, and to rejoice in your glory. Anyone in here whose marriages are suffering, who are fighting against pride, gossip, slander, self-righteousness, whatever it is. You told us if we confess, you are faithful, you are just to forgive us. Lord, you know our hearts. Now glorify yourself in them now, we pray in Jesus' name.